Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where this week we're kind of like joining the rest of the region and looking outside and trying to figure out what the glowing yellow thing in the sky is and why it's not, you know, frigid and throwing frozen water at us. It's called spring, and it looks <laughs> like it finally has descended on northeast Ohio for like a day and a half. Actually, it sounds like we'll probably get it for about a week. Don't know beyond that, but there's like no snow for the next week. There's rain, but there's at least no snow. I can tell you that we have one more snow coming, and it's going to happen after May 1st. Only because that's when you're getting your, your summer tires put on. Exactly. But but that is, that's not unique to you. That is a normal summer tire phenomenon. So basically, everybody in Northeast Ohio is saying, why didn't you get summer tires like a month ago? Pretty much. But I I've mean, been waiting. We, we have friends in D.C. that said, the heck with it, they're throwing caution to the wind, and they put their summer tires on right around March 15th. Yeah, that would have been way too early here. <laughs> I would have been housebound. Um, for the record... <coughs> Audi Quattro on summer tires still doesn't work well. No, it really doesn't. So, moving into Formula One. Moving into the event of the past week. So, Nico Rosberg, remember we, we spoke months ago as Robert Kubica was in the running to possibly get a race seat over at Williams. Um, that Nico Rosberg was part of his management team? Yes. He's not anymore. Oh. He's gone. See you. Bye. Kabitza fired him? Well, it, it's not really clear. What Robert had to say, and it, that's what I think is kind of interesting, is that Robert is commenting on this, but Nico is not. Interesting. He says, we did have a close work together at the end of last year, and we are in good relationship. But for now, because I am doing what I am doing, and he is busy, and he has his family, we are not working as close as we were last year. But we are still in touch. So Nico called Robert and said, don't call me, I'll call you? I don't know. It's not you, it's, it's you? Well, we do know that Nico has branched out in his business dealings. He's now an investor in Formula E. Mm -hmm. And he's, I guess, getting involved in some other side projects. So he had to wait to be a world champion and retired to have side projects, unlike his rival who's had side projects since, so I don't know, birth. Different degree of focus. I mean, Nico is also, he's a commentator now for Sky Sports. I think he's on at most of their races. He's been to at least Australia because we have the picture of him taking the selfie with Daniel Ricciardo. Okay. Yes, that is true. So he he is doing motorsports-related activities, even if he is not driving. The other thing that he did uh, two weeks ago, last week or two weeks ago, he drove the prototype car for next year's Formula E series. Okay. Um, he did that. Actually, it was it was in the build up to Rome. He dr drove it around the Rome track. Cool. So he's doing stuff. Whether or not he's too busy to deal with Robert, or Robert is just a maybe Robert's hyper needy. I, th that could be it too. Maybe he's just not into you. 
it's not it's not you it's me is that no what? it's not me it's you oh yeah well <laughs> <laughs> maybe vivian has a problem with robert that could be maybe the kid doesn't like robert the, he robert doesn't like the kids oh there it is there was a dinner party and the kids were you acting heard it up here first. and and the kids were acting up and Robert was just like I never liked them to begin with. Your kids are monsters and that's it. They were done. You heard it here first. <laughs> Completely and utterly made up news, but <laughs> that's what we do here. Now last week we talked about Mauricio Riva Benny's comments around a pit stop. In Bahrain in, ba- in Bahrain and the disaster that that was. And you specifically had raised questions as to Maurizio's answer and how it didn't really seem to hold water. Yes. Well, we have some more information. About how his answer didn't hold water? Yeah. Okay. Well, no. Basically, they, they've told us more about how it worked. And because um, you weren't the only one that said, hey, you know, this whole thing with the lights – doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Several other teams also heard Maurizio's statement and took his statement to mean that the pit gantry light was triggered by sensors on the wheel and or wheel guns, which is what your point was. The problem is you're not allowed to do that. Ooh! Yeah. They say that on the wheel assembly, the sensor system may only act passively. So a Ferrari spokesman... Uh, insisted to BBC Sport that the process was not fully automatic and that a sensor failure was not to blame. Interesting. So Ferrari prepared a document that they circulated to the teams to explain what went wrong, and they blamed it on a series of human errors. So what they said now, after they changed the story that they changed, what they're saying now, is that the wheel guns have sensors to measure both the tightness of the nut and the distance it has moved on the wheel. In Kimmy's stop, the mechanic on the left rear wheel missed the nut, but he pressed the gun to undo it. He put the gun back on the nut to have another go, but had already reversed the direction to tight. So you see where this is going here. That meant the system registered the nut was undone, then tightened, and in the right place. So the sensor assumed that the wheel had been changed when it actually hadn't and gave the all clear. Okay. You following that? So now the next issue. The rear jackman and the overall pit stop controller both hold button down, hold buttons down when they release to turn the pit light to green. Both did this despite the problem on the re- left rear. The jackman didn't notice the wheel hadn't been changed, and the controller was unsighted and did not see that corner of the car. And then, of course, the last piece, which we all knew, was that Francisco Cigarini was standing with his left leg in front of the wheel, so he got hit by the car when Kimmy sped away. This makes a little more sense. It does make more sense. Um... I get the combination of the errors. If it's a passive sensor system, um, then your first error was the guys that pushed the button that said, because my impression had been that on the wheel nut gun, there was a button that said done. Mm-hmm. And so they pushed that button and that's, you know, all the once all four buttons were pushed, then the light could turn green. 
But if there's another button somewhere else that somebody pushed because they can't tell the difference between red and yellow, that's a bit of a problem. Well, if you think about the angles, though, in a second and a half to two seconds, <coughs> that means your controller and your your, your rear jackman has to be able to take in all the action on all four of those tires and make sure it all happened. You're just not going to do that. Yeah. I now, Ferrari has said that just like Haas, what they're doing is they're adding yet another person to the process to be oversight to make sure everything happens. But again, that is another person whose sole job is to take on all of the action in the two seconds and go, yep, happened, go. I don't know. I mean, it's an unfortunate accident. It happens. I get it. It's a risk. I get it. Um, I still go back to, and I know you and I are in fervent disagreement about it, I think that some of the pressure to have these sub two second pit stops is to blame because I don't think for one second that anybody can process that four tires have been changed and push a button that fast and know for a fact that all of them will happen, especially when you do it as often as they do those pit stops. I think that corners get cut and that's how somebody gets hurt. Well, you assume everybody does their job. Charlie Whiting agrees with your concerns, and he agrees that the five pit stop errors in three weekends is exactly down to how much time or how little time they take to put these in place. However, he has also said outright that he is not minded at this stage to take any action such as forcing a minimum pit stop time. His words, not mine. Okay. And I point that out because that was last week you were pushing that. I am still pushing. And I'm not pushing something that's like (coughs) unreasonable, like everybody should have a five-second pit stop. I'm pushing something that I think is pretty reasonable that still challenges people. It still challenges them to have a a quick pit stop. But I think a two-second pit stop is a minimum time. And get them to stop pushing for less than that. Well, we'll talk more about how maybe F1 should up its game. Up yours. So that you can, because I wanted to give you the opportunity. I I, I deserve it. (laughs) (coughs) But before we go there, we now need to look at last weekend in China. And before we even jump into that, let's have a quick recap of the Fantasy GP results. Here's how things stand in a bloke and a bird shows Fantasy GP League after the Chinese Grand Prix. In the last race, Michael won the week with 155 points. Agro's Puppet Racing was second with 147 points. Richard's Flyfast team was third with 141 points. Patricia's The Bird team was in fourth with 125 points. In fifth was Phil's Team Rocket with 115 points. And the boys' Moonlit Black Cats team was sixth with just 91 points. In the overall league standings, Michael's Mach 5 Racing team moves back into the lead with 422 points. Agro's Puppet Racing holds on to second with 418 points. Patricia falls back to third with 408 points. Phil's Team Rocket is in fourth at 372 points. The boys' Moonlit Black Cats team is fifth with 308 points. And Richard's team Fly Fast narrows the gap to fifth with 291 points. 
Even though you've missed a few races, you can still join in the fun by going to fantasygp.com and entering the league code 148-31491. Now, before we even dive into that, I just have to point out how difficult it is nowadays in this modern world that we have to find a Wurlitzer store to get them to play Weird Science for me so that I could have it for the backing music. <laughs> Something tells it me. It was really did. hard. Something tells me you did not do that. Congratulations <laughs> on winning the week and your move back up into the first place. Yeah, first of all, I got to say, I have absolutely no idea how the hell that happened because my prediction sucked. I don't think it was in your predictions. I think it was in your team, right? Because well, you even had my team, Even my team was, I mean, the only thing that got me points, and actually I need to go back because unfortunately I clicked on the page that said predictions for next week and that didn't help me. So yes, I had Ricardo and I had Alonzo and I got points for that. I had fired um, Ocon because he wasn't doing well and I had Gasly for my third one. I so there was no Gasly points there. Gasly wasn't. He he had his shot already. You lost your chance with gas. But to to just give you how bad my predictions were, so I predicted Hamilton for the win. Nope, that didn't happen. I predicted Vettel in second. That didn't that didn't happen. happen. I predicted Bottas in third. I got a nearly for that one. I predicted Hamilton for pole. That didn't happen. I predicted Hamilton for fastest lap. Hey, that didn't happen either. I even predicted that there would be no safety cars. Didn't get that either. So how I ended up with that many points, it was Ricardo Alonso and then McLaren Mercedes Red Bull were the only way I got points. So you guys could have like destroyed me this week and I don't I it, it, Daniel Ricardo, man. That's <laughs> that's it's, all I got. It's Ricardo. I, I get it. I get it. I will say I've got a couple of things to say about the fantasy league. One is um I had a lot of Hamilton I, I have made some changes because what has dawned on me, um, and I'm, one of the things I'm learning, is where you get points is in mo- in movement. So you really want your mid-pack teams, people that are qualifying down further back and moving up through the field. That's where you'll get a lot more points. I have made more points on Marcus Erickson of Sauber <laughs> than I have on Roman Grosjean. See, I just I, – I have dropped Pierre Gasly, and I, for next week, my, my team now includes Kevin Magnuson. So that that's where I'm going with right now. We'll, we'll see how that works. But, yeah, I could have been destroyed this week. I don't know how this worked out. Well, not that – I mean, <clears throat> the top point getter for the week was only 191 points. Yeah, and you were 154. So yes, you were 40 points behind, but nobody was getting full points this week. Yeah. So, but congratulations. Now, just a reminder: get your predictions in for Azerbaijan by end of the day Friday at the latest, so that uh, everything gets counted. That's going to be a hard race to call. It really is. Um, I've already done my predictions. Um, so. I, I like to at least wait until free practice. I'm afraid I'll forget. Okay. So I get them in, 
and then I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants, which is why I'm not going to win the league, and I'm okay with that. And the other thing that we absolutely have to call out Go is Richard, Richard for third. third there. Um, he is closing in on the boy. The boy better look out, otherwise he's going to get overtaken. Oh, wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> so let's talk about the race. And f- again, just like Bahrain, which I was expecting to be a sleeper, this really wasn't. Okay, so one thing I want to call out. We keep talking about this need for more passing, more exciting races. We've had back-to-back really decent races. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, some of it has been some pretty incredible passes. I mean, there was there was a Ricardo pass that I don't think should have happened. But, <laughs> like, the laws of physics did not apply. As as Daniel was quoted in say, quoted saying this past weekend, sometimes you just have to lick the stamp and send a letter. Exactly. <laughs> well, he licked it, but I don't think that I think that we bent the laws of physics right there. Um, but there were some passes that, yeah, passes made it exciting, but there was tight racing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the part that was really cool, and it just kept you on the edge of your seat through quite a bit of the race. Um, gotta give your heart out to Botas. I mean, seriously, he did everything right. He, he did it so right. And just to be at the end of the race on old medium tires, then you had Red Bull who got another set of tires. He was, and he was in front of the safety car, so he couldn't have gotten tires during the safety car period. But why they didn't pull Hamilton in, I don't know. Well, we're, we're going to get to that discussion. <clears throat> we're we're going we're gonna to work our way backwards a little bit. Um, first, let, let's start with Max Verstappen. Max has he's caught some heat lately. And I'm not completely sure it's not deserved, especially after this past weekend. Um, now, Max, to his credit, has admitted that he has made some mistakes in the last couple of weeks. Um, he even apologized to Seb after the race for ruining Seb's race. Um, but he he says that he'll analyze everything and put that in my knowledge and have a better race next time, um, but that he's not happy with his performance and adds that those moments happen in your career. Nobody wants it, but unfortunately, it happens. He's okay. not really... Apologetic? Not really. Learning um, from his mistakes? He was asked if he needed to calm, the BBC asked him if he needed to calm down. He said, it's easy to comment. At the moment, it is not like, it is not going the way I like. Does it mean I have to calm down? I don't think so. It is very unfortunate, those things happening. I just need to analyze everything and come back stronger for the next race. Okay. That's what he says. Now, by comparison, over on, uh, the Dutch television channel Ziggo's Pep Talk Show. Ziggo's. Ziggo. That's the name of the channel. The okay. show is called Pep Talk. Uh, Jas Verstappen made an appearance. No. Oh. And um, what did Daddy have to say? Well, he was not really impressed by by Max's performance. Oh, so did he punch him in the nose like he said he was going to? <laughs> no, that's not what he is threatened to do. <laughs> The punch was much lower. <laughs> it's a family show. Yes. Um, what he had to say of the move in a situation, Yas said the overtake on Vettel really wasn't on. 
That wasn't possible. It was an error of judgment. In some circumstances, Max just has to think more. I don't want him to change his driving style. He passed two people at the start. He did that perfectly. That's what we all want to see. But we don't want to see these kinds of actions. He needs to have it under control. He needs to think. I'm seeing him tomorrow. Last week was very painful, but we'll have to talk about it and analyze what happened in a normal way. This can't happen. He already knows it. I don't have to say much. Now, when asked if he was mad with his son, Yas replied, Mad is not the right word, but I'm disappointed. It's, but it's the most painful for himself. So that's it. He, you know, I, I'm, I'm not mad at you, Max. I'm, I'm just disappointed. Ooh. I'm just disappointed. Tough I expected words from better Daddy. of you. Yeah. I expected so much more from you. <clears throat> yeah. And then there was Daniel Ricardo. Daniel. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was inspired. It was inspired. It was utterly unexpected, which is that's what everybody is asking for is these unexpected moments that, you know, coming out of sixth after having your engine blow up and really not being favored one way or the other to do anything, to have the charge that he had. And, and truly, it was because of absolutely inspired strategy calls at just the right time and an impressive chain of pit stops. Well, to do back-to-back double-stacked pit stops? Yeah. I mean... Flawlessly. You got to give, you, gotta, you know, I've always thought of Red Bull as kind of the evil empire. I don't care for them. Mostly, I don't care for Christian Horner. I mean, let's just be honest. Well, see, that that's the thing is I think in terms of honest comments about the sport in general, he is a fantastic source. In terms of honest comments about his team, he's awful. <laughs> but truly in terms of insight into what is going on in and around the paddock, actually, I think I, he's a fantastic source for it, and he is better there than anybody else in a paddock. I get to give him credit for that. Okay. Doesn't mean I have to like him. Okay. Um, I mean, just because I think he's a little publicity hound doesn't mean... I think he's no more of a publicity hound than Nikki Lauda. Well, and Nikki I think will you talk get, to anybody with a microphone. And, and I think you get more... You get more out of Valuable Christian. information out of Christian. But Christian, in terms of when he is talking about his team, can be every bit as duplicitous, if not more so, than all of the other team bosses combined. True. However, what they did with double stacking in the pit stops both times mm -hmm. was phenomenal. The fact that the safety car really and truly did favor what they decided to do. I mean, it was timed in such a way. Uh, Botas and Vettel were already past the pit stop entrance. Mm -hmm. So it only could have affected from third back. And the first two that come in for it are Max and Ricardo. Yep. So that was inspired, honestly. And it just put them on fresher tires. It put them in the right spot at the right time. All of those good things. I just, you got to give them credit. But truthfully, 
Ricardo is one of those drivers that he's incredibly good. And you just got to love him because he's incredibly happy. Well, yeah. He's incredibly good. But he's one of those drivers that we will look back on and feel sorry for because he could have been a world champion had he not been in the time he's driving I See, and and, and I won't go that far just yet because it's not like he's at the end of his career. No. So I, I, I don't think that we're at that point yet. Um, I, I think that there is every bit the possibility, and that's what we're going to talk about in a second here, is every bit the possibility that he will be a world champion. And now he may only get one, but we'll see. I think by the time that Lewis hangs his, his racing boots up, we will see the rise of the Verstappen years. And there may be a couple of more Vettel years in between. But I will not be surprised if we wind up with the end of the Lewis era leading into the Verstappen era and we're going to see the likes of a Ricardo being edged out. It depends on where he goes. And and that's that's really the truth right there. And now you got to remember he's out of contract at the end of this year. Unlike Max, he doesn't have a contract for the future. Um so he's been asked about his future and direction. Um, speaking to the BBC, he said, I want to be with the best car. I think the weekend proved if I got the opportunity, I can pull it off. If we can win a few more now with Red Bull, that looks very attractive. If not, there's probably other options. Now, speaking to Australia's Channel 10, he said, obviously the win helps, but if we were finishing six every race this year, then that's not the most attractive option to me. Now, asked whether he felt that Red Bull could be title contenders this season, he says, I think it's still too early to say yes. We won at the weekend, but we need to win regularly to kind of show that. If we come out and win again in two weeks in Baku, then I'll probably say yes. Okay. I think that's fair. But he's got a lot of options. And... If the press keeps beating up on Valtteri the way they have been over him not being aggressive enough and not having that killer instinct, I could see Mercedes looking over at Daniel. Mm -hmm. And I would bet that if you put Daniel and Lewis in the same car, he would give Lewis a serious run for his money. And... You could have a Nico Rosberg-like upset. Yeah, would be interesting. It would be interesting. It would be interesting to see that happen with somebody who's such an incredibly nice guy. Yeah. I don't think of Rosberg as being that. I wasn't happy for Rosberg, not because I was disappointed about Lewis, but because I really didn't like him. If Ricardo was able to pull it off as much as I'm a Lewis girl, I would be really happy for Ricardo. And I kind of wonder what soured you on Nico. Because when Lewis shifted over to Mercedes, all you were talking about was how, yeah, the attention is on Lewis, but Nico's really been kind of underrated. Well, and you got to look out that. for him. I said look out for him, and I was right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. You know, granted, I was right. I think that the combination of that first year that Lewis was at Mercedes with the car evolving to the point that it had 
and Nico getting out from the shadow of the legend that is Schumacher, Nico started to drive really well. And it's not that I don't like Nico's driving. I thought he was good. I just don't think that he was excellent. But towards the end, he got really snotty. And that's what soured soured me on him. He did, and I think a lot of that was because he didn't appreciate Lewis coming into the team and overshadowing him. I think he, he was able to handle it with it being Schumacher, but with it being Lewis and the history that they had, he just had enough of it. And I completely understand that, but at the same time, I'm like, you're a bit of a snot. It's the Monaco in him. It is. That, that's what I say. It's the, I, I blame Monaco. <laughs> um, so let's go back to the incident that touched all of this off and, and opened the door for the Red Bulls to come in and started this whole chain. Pierre Gasly described how the collision happened because this was truly as a result of the collision between Pierre Gasly and Brendan Hartley, which, again, you're not supposed to hit your teammates. (laughs) You're just not. That is like the second rule in Formula One. What's the first rule? Win. Go fast. Oh, I thought rule number one was don't hit your teammate. (laughs) There's got to be something slightly more important than don't hit your teammate. But bring both cars home is really high on the list. And don't hit your teammate. (laughs) So Pierre described how the collision happened. He said, I was catching Brendan and we were on two different strategies. Before the race, we said with different strategies, at some point we might need a driver swap. They told me on the radio, okay, Brendan's going to let you pass at the end of the straight, as we had said with the engineers. So I expected him to let me by and went on the inside. I don't know if he didn't see me, and I expected him to leave a bit of space for me to turn. And when he started to turn normally, I was on the inside, and it was too late, and there was nothing I could do. I tried to break and avoid him. I was too late, so we made contact, and that was it. It was a shame because the last you want is to have contact with your teammate. I think we misunderstood each other, and I expected him to do something, and he probably expected something else. So what Hartley said was, we swapped position on the first stint as well. I was struggling in the ultrasofts. I let him by on the exit of 14. The second time when we touched, I planned to do the same. My feeling is he must have thought I was opening the door on the entry, which was not the case. Clearly a miscommunication. I think he thought I was letting him by, but I plan to let him by on the corner exit. I don't know. I would think you'd want to have this worked out pretty well. And yeah, it did kind of look like he was going wide to open a door for him. I don't quite get this idea of, well, I was going to let him by on the exit. So what, you weren't going to accelerate as quick? When when does that normally happen? And is that ever a good idea? Yeah, (coughs) that's... I, I don't know. I think Hartley got caught with the, you were supposed to let him by and you didn't. And now he's got an, ex- you know, he's come up with an excuse. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I think. Now, so as a result of this, we bring out the safety car because of the debris that the Toro Rosso has left behind. And as you mentioned, when the safety car came out, Valtteri and Seb were already past the pit entry. Lewis had not made it to the pit entry yet. Now, post-race, because 
you know, we, we asked for the opinions. But post-race, Seb stood up and said that he was upset with the release of the, the timing of the release of the safety car, and he felt that it was wrong because it impacted his race and his and Valtteri's race. He did, I think, go on and say that he was upset because it impacted his and Valtteri's race because of when it was brought out, he didn't have the, neither one of them had the opportunity to pit while everybody else in the field further back got that opportunity. So he was upset. Charlie Whiting clarified the decision and explained why. He said, if we decide to use the safety car, it's for safety reasons, and I don't look to see who's going to be advantaged or disadvantaged. We waited until there was a good gap in the traffic. The debris was scattered over a large area, and I wanted to wait until the safety car had got the cars behind it before I was prepared to send any marshals out. Even at safety car speeds, I don't think it's safe for the marshals to come a long distance to get out there. So I wanted to make sure there was a sufficient gap to make sure they could do that. In the event they had to go out there, once clean it all up, get them back in again, wait for the whole train to go past, and then go again. So in terms of uh, Vettel, Vettel also had commented that he thought that instead of using the safety car at first and going right to the safety car, that use the virtual safety car. Mm. And, and that that would have limited the potential disadvantage to the leaders' races. So pull the safety car, get everybody past the pit entry, then bring out the safety car so that everybody had a chance to do this. What Charlie said, it's a bit of a mystery to me why this has all come into sharp focus. We've had the virtual safety car since 2015. We've had the safety car for 20 years. We know at every intervention there will be winners and losers. And, we have, and if we have to sit there and work out who's going to be advantaged and how we're going to work it so that everybody has, then we haven't got time to do that and it's not our job to do that. He also said that using the virtual safety car instead of the safety car would not have given the marshals adequate cover. He said, again, it's because the marshals had to come a long way in order to get all the debris. They're just exposed out there. I know they're doing 30% of a real lap, but it's still quite fast, and I'm not sure you can totally trust drivers to do the right thing. <laughs> I wonder why Charlie feels that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like Charlie's had experience with drivers not doing the right thing. Yeah. So basically, dear Seb, Charlie is not out to destroy your race. Yeah, this was not to screw your your, your race. Hugs and kisses, bloke in the bird show. <laughs> <laughs> so then comes the next question of all right, so Seb was past pit entrance, Valtteri was past pit entrance, but Lewis was not. Why didn't Mercedes bring Lewis in? So now for the third straight race, we find ourselves in a position where Mercedes is being questioned on their strategy. Don't tell me they had another math, Sarah. Uh, kinda. Okay, whoever's got the slide rule at Mercedes, you need to step away. What Toto had to say to explain it, and Mercedes went much deeper in this week's um, pure pit wall video that they released, where they go into much more detail. And I'm not going to pull that out because it's pretty far, but I'm, I, I am going to 
give you Toto's comments on this. He said, we thought at the time that track position would be more than enough. You could see in the first stint there was no overtaking. Lewis's tire was a medium with at that stage barely 10 laps on. Our calculation predicted that the medium would last until the end, and putting on a new soft we thought wouldn't give you such a performance advantage, much more than we expected. Now looking back, it would have been for sure the right strategy to pit for the second soft, but nobody in the team, including myself, thought it was the right thing to do. Okay. So to sum it up, they didn't think that they would see the performance that Red Bull saw on those tires. The, uh, the other concern that they had was around pit, or, or was around track position, knowing that, again, since they weren't completely clear what the Red Bulls were going to do, if they bring Lewis in, they were committing that they were going to put Lewis further back on the track two, maybe four positions back, if not further. And they felt it was better to keep him out there, keep him in third, and hold on to that track position, and I guess potentially see if they could fight something off. And then, of course, the Red Bulls dived in, and that was the end of it. Yeah. And I don't think anybody expected them to dive both Red Bulls in and double stock them like that. Not not so twice th- in one race. I think the guess was they were going to, they might dive one person in. And that would be all that Lewis would have to fight, not having to try to fight two. So there was also the um, the swap in positions between Valtteri and Seb. Seb leading the race. Um, Valtteri goes in first for that undercut. And it was looking really, really close as to whether or not Valtteri would be able to come out or, or Valtteri would be able to hold on to that lead once Seb dived into the pit stop. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that Ferrari's pit stop was a little slow. It was a little slow, and there wasn't any real reason as to why other than it was just a little slow. But according to Mercedes, there was one other element that put Valtteri ahead. According to Mercedes, the pit stop that they pulled on Valtteri was 1.83 seconds. Wow, that is a fast pit stop. Yeah, and and that may be a new world record. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad that nobody got hurt. Yeah, I mean, that that was, as I'm reading this article, and and they're they're talking about, well, we did a 1.83-second pit stop, and I'm like, well, that's awesome, but we had five unsafe releases and all of them due to the speed. Is this really something that we want to be jumping up and down and waving a flag over? Apparently, yes. I, I guess. League of Super Evil Met. Yes. I know. I didn't have the music ready. <gasps> I just, we're just going to jump right in. League of Super Evil Met. Um to discuss the engine situation and discuss, again, further discussions around 2021 and also some potential changes for 2019. Um, What we know about the engine situation right now is that the FIA is pushing very, very hard to remove the MGUH. Um, They believe that this package, the energy recovery system for the turbocharger, it adds complexity and it adds cost and 
it's just not worth the effort. Right. Um, word on the street is that all four ma- engine manufacturers don't like this idea. So it's not even a matter of Mercedes and Ferrari just banding together and said, no, this is we're not in support. All four of them, including Renault and including Honda, are saying, we've already gone down this road. We have built and de- designed and developed this engine around this concept and that removing this component from the package means we have to redesign everything. And there is no cost savings if you're making us redesign all of it. Right. The trouble is the interest that they're seeing around potentially Cosworth coming back and Aston Martin coming back are all contingent on removing the MGUH. That's a problem. It's a very big problem. Well, the governing body has set a deadline now with the agreement of the teams of the end of May to come to an arrangement for what they're going to do with the engines and where they're going to go with this. So hopefully in a little over a month, we'll know what's going to happen and whether or not Ferrari is going to pack up their toys and go somewhere else. Well, yeah, but does anybody actually believe that Ferrari is going to pack up their toys and go someplace else? Toto Wolf keeps saying, they'll do it. They'll do it, man. Don't mess with them. (laughs) They will do it. Well, if Toto says it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Now, one of the things they did agree to, and I I don't fully think that this is a great idea, but one of the things that they did agree to was raising the fuel flow limit for 2019. Okay. Now, currently, it is at 105 kilograms. Now, it this increase went into effect in 2017 because when we first went to turbo hybrids, it was 100 kilograms. And you recall the first race, there was the debate over the fuel flow sensors and Red Bull getting disqualified and all of that stuff. 2017, they bumped it up to 105 kilograms. So for 2019, it'll be 110 kilograms. Okay. The idea is this will allow the teams to race flat out more. How about ditching the the arrow uh, dependency so that they can race close to each other? We're going to get to that. Okay. We're going to get to that. Um, the other thing that they agreed to do, and this is an outstanding idea. I, I don't think it's going to have as great an impact as we hope, but it's an outstanding idea. They have agreed to separate the weight of the driver from the weight of the car. Oh, good. And they have set a minimum driver weight limit of 80 kilograms. Now, I don't think that this is going to fully relieve the situation of uh, drivers going on crash diets because ultimately they still want the entire package to be as light as possible. But they're saying a minimum weight for the driver of 80 kilograms, so at least they can maintain that level. And the weight of the car will be assessed on its own merits. So we don't have a driver having to lose weight so that they can put in their bit on the car. Right. I mean, that's key. And we knew about that being a proposal because we talked about it. We also talked about the fact that it doesn't help somebody like Nico Hulkenberg, who is six feet tall and, you know, maintaining 80 kilograms. Cause you know, that's what they're, the teams are going to require. Absolutely. They're going to require that you be as close to the minimum weight as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, 
would have been is going to be more difficult than if we still had Felipe Massa, for example, who is not 80 kilograms naturally. So he would have to ballast. The other thing that was agreed to, and, and honestly, I thought that this was already in place based on the information that we had been hearing over the development of this. But the teams have agreed that the drivers will wear biometric gloves to gather uh, the medical data and oh. the safety enhancement. I had thought, because we knew that they were working on this, I had thought the agreement was that those gloves were going to be coming this year, mm. not next year. But apparently, it's next year those gloves will happen. That's still pretty cool. Yeah. Now, coming out of the discussions, the other area that there was no agreement on, and it's, a lot of it's because they can't agree on the engine format just yet, is around the cost caps and the budgets. Well, Claire Williams has said if, um, from her perspective, if they cannot come to an agreement on the cost caps and on the budget situation, specifically on getting it as close to $150 million as possible, she says Williams will close the whole company. Oh, my. So to be clear, this is not just Williams Racing. But this is also Williams Advanced Engineering that is supplying electronic components to Formula E and to Formula One and to all the other engineering concerns and development work that they do as an organization for other industries. Wow. Yeah. Um, she says that um, she was very positive about the announcement about the discussion about the cost cap because it sets that that capital level, which means Williams would not have to cut its budget. Um, she says, but there are for some teams, they're pretty negative about it because it is a fairly dramatic cut for them. Mm -hmm. But it works out well for them, and she says she thinks it probably demonstrates the facts that the fact that Williams track performance aside is a good model of how a Formula One team should be operating. Um, but Williams, she said, still stands by this. I don't know. Well, you know, maybe Claire needs to dig down into her dad's roots and just try to figure out how he can sell the same chassis to the same driver three times in a row. <laughs> yeah, they, they come up with a way to do that. Um, well, the, see, in that case, they should probably get more involved in, like, IndyCar and the lower formulas that run spec chassis. See. Take it in, refurbish it, sell it to somebody else. Yeah. Um, we did get more info on their financials because they – remember, they are publicly traded mm -hmm. on, like, the German stock market. I don't know why they're as opposed to anywhere else, but they are publicly traded. Overall, the Williams Engineering Group, their profit – was down in 2017. Now, advanced engineering did have increased earnings, okay. as did the Formula One team, but the Formula One team had advanced earnings mainly in because of the one-time payment of 10 million pounds from Mercedes for getting the Valtteri Bottas. Ah. So that's what it costs to get a driver at the last minute when your driver suddenly retires. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's not – I mean, it's it's better over there, but it's not great over there. No, and I think if they don't figure out how to how to be up in the top of the mid-pack, at the very least, quickly, 
But that's not going to happen with this lineup. And I get that the decision was being made for fine. I mean, you, you cannot say otherwise. The decision for their driver lineup is purely being done through f- f- based on financial needs and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And I got to wonder if there weren't better drivers out there that, yeah, they may not have brought as much money, but would have performed better. I don't know. This Patty, was the best. We have to trust that this was the best decision they could have made at the time. Patty Lowe's just going to need to cough up more money. All right, Patty. Now, on the Martini situation, Claire Williams says that she's not worried about Martini leaving. Liar. <laughs> Liar. She says, obviously, it's a shame that they are. Genuinely, I feel that because they were very generous in coming in and supporting the team in 2013 when we were ninth in the championship. Not only have they brought the financial support that's been so important, but they've also given us a refreshed and youthful identity, and we were really looking for that, and people bought into it. They are part of the Williams family, so to lose them is bad from our perspective, but we will replace them. But not necessarily with a title sponsor. Hmm. She says, I don't care if it's a title sponsor that comes in to replace them or if it's 10 partners that give us a million quid each. As long as we have the budget to go racing, then that's all that matters. This gives us an opportunity. If a title partner comes in and wants to be a title partner, fantastic. But if it doesn't, we're a strong enough brand to be able to stand on our own two feet. Interesting. Which I think is kind of interesting considering her other comments this week. That is interesting. Yeah. So now you, you've been alluding to the Arrow situation and all of that whole thing. We're, we're still working on, on what that may look like. But Gunther Steiner was asked about his view on IndyCar's philosophy because IndyCar did a major change, as we have talked about in the past, a major change to their car design. They re- removed a significant amount of downforce and arrow from the car. There's still some arrow, but most of it's like ground effects, which works differently. Mm -hmm. Um, But they reduced the amount of arrow for the car, and the word is that the racing at IndyCar has been dramatically better and much more exciting. It's been much more challenging for the drivers because if they do not get it right, they get punished very quickly. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that, you know, okay, look at St. Petersburg, and (laughs) yeah, you get punished very fast on that track. Um, But... The drivers have had to work a bit harder. They've had to be a whole lot better. But there's more passing. There's closer races because the cars are not as aero-dependent. Well, Gunther Steiner has turned around and said that this is the wrong direction. Oh, really? What Gunther Steiner says, says is that I think F1 should not go to spec cars if, because that's what everyone has this understanding with IndyCar is that because it's a similar chassis or, or because the, the chassis itself is the same, it's a spec series. 
So he says, I think F1 should not go to spec cars. If F1 goes to spec cars, I think it is the end of F1. It's the pinnacle of motorsport. Technology is still important. We need to be very careful not to dumb down F1. As much as we don't think people are interested, a lot of people are interested in technology, not only in racing, and I think F1 is a good showcase of technology. We need to make it more, I would say, accessible than at least people know what we are doing. This is one of the goals we should try to achieve, but we should not dumb Formula One down like IndyCar because then you have got GP1 and we know where that is going. As great as we think IndyCar is, if other series like what it's done, it's not like we should focus on that one. We should focus on ourselves and make our sport better. There's all kinds of pieces here. Okay. There's some things that I agree with. And things I think he is absolutely dead wrong on. Okay, what do you agree with? I agree in, in this idea of they don't want it to be a spec series and that there need they need to allow innovation to occur in the sport. And in many respects, um, while on one hand Formula One will encourage it, they are also really, really bad about squashing it. As we have mentioned over, hey, somebody found this new trick thing and, and they're having success, so let's ban it. I know. Um, but I don't think that in addressing the problems that are going on right now, that you necessarily need to make it a spec series. And there are things that can be learned from IndyCar and takeaways from what they have done that can be incorporated into Formula One without turning it into a spec series. Oh, okay. That's where I think he's dead wrong. If you look at what they have done and the fact that they have taken away so much of the arrow, this goes back to what we are saying. Take away the arrow. Take away the dependence on that. You can still turn around and give teams the freedom to design and to develop and innovate. But if you turn around and say, hey, these super hyper complex veins that you've got on your front wings, they have to go away. That you can't have more than like three fins in this part of the car or something like that to turn around and say, do whatever you want as long as you don't exceed these things. You're still not a spec series. Exactly. Which is what they, I mean, that's, that's the way the rules are generally written now is you can do whatever you want as long as it adheres to these specific mm -hmm. technical regulations, which, of course, you are very familiar with the technical regulations manual. I, I got it right here. I know. It's bedtime reading for you. Here, here, let me put it down. Really? That's all it sounds like? I thought it would be much more like this. I, I, yeah, but I, I, what it was sitting on, it doesn't sound as substantial. Uh, That's what it was. Because that was the sporting regulations. That's what I'm very familiar with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have them sitting right next to you at all times. At all times, which is a little weird at band concerts. Well, I was going to say, you never know how often – you never realize how often those come in handy when you're sitting at the, the football game with the marching band. Well, yeah. <laughs> The biggest problem is the carrying it in. Yeah. You know, me and the tubas are carrying the same amount of weight. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 
if Formula One stepped back and said, okay, in terms of aero, we have to design the regulations as such, and this goes back to the ground force, uh, the ground effect type arrow, is I guess the way ground effect works is it doesn't disturb the air the same way that the top side stuff does, that all the wings do and things like that. Because IndyCar, that's where they are allowed to develop. They're mm. allowed to develop these ground effect aero pieces. The other thing that IndyCar is allowed to develop, and again, it's not nearly as visible, they're allowed to develop on their suspension systems. And the teams believe that there is a lot more that they can gain from these cars by tweaking those suspension systems. And I think that the key here is understand that we all get angry over the depth of the technical regulations and how detailed it can be. But where innovation lies is when they cut off the paths of least resistance. Mm -hmm. When you say, okay, you can't have a blown diffuser, and then all of a sudden they're coming up with other ways to get the downforce. I mean, I don't have it. I'm not angry that we've got all this aero downforce. I think that it's at this point, it's time to start regulating it so that we can have cars that ride closer to each well, other. They, they but that was an the innovation. They forced the teams to go that route. But it was, it was an iteration of advancement, and they had to go explore it. And now we've explored it. It's time to cut it off and say, go find suspension advantages go find what you can do in the ground effects go find what you can do on i don't know burning driver sweat is fuel but, i mean figure out something else but and, and and i think this is where you're missing my point is when it comes to things like the ground effects when it comes to other things that would increase mechanical grip as opposed to aerodynamic grip form, formula one outright ban that stuff so the teams had no choice but to go and look at these other avenues that in order to, to bring that level of performance back in because they weren't allowed to use uh the mechanical grip they weren't allowed to use the ground effects they weren't allowed to use movable wings or some of this other stuff that would allow for closer racing and would allow for other avenues of innovation Formula One pushed themselves down this route. Well, then they need to unpush themselves down that route. And yeah. That's all I'm saying. We are saying the same thing. Okay. I'm encouraging new innovation and unpushing yourself down this route. It's time to start to ban the corner you've backed yourself into. And I think the other thing that, that Formula One tends to miss is that, yes, as much as development costs can be really kind of expensive for new aero packages and new car designs and things of that nature. I think one of the things that fans do enjoy is when the car designs change and change dramatically year to year. I think you're right. And by turning around and restricting some of these avenues and not letting the teams go down in these directions, we lose that. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, I think the teams, you know, they'd rather not have to fully design a car from ground up every single year because that's a major effort. And, you know, you end up with that strategic conundrum of at what point do I stop throwing money into this year's car and start looking at next year, especially if there's talk of cost caps. Mm 
But still, I would rather see effort around this than around the mythical, well, we want the cars to be able to run flat out more. Yeah. I agree. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a, a bogus <clears throat> argument. It's, it's a, you'll never win it. You'll never see it. It'll never happen. Well, this is the thing that I've said for years. They say that they're listening to the fans. The fans say we want more passing. We want more close racing. But they seem to only do things that they – it's like they're willing to do all of these different things that all of them seem to prevent those things. They made the cars wider. That limits passing. They are more dependent on aero for – grip versus mechanical grip it limits passing because they can't run in dirty air they did fuel conservation which means they can't run flat out but then they both boosted the horsepower of the engine so now they can start taking corners flat out and things that used to be corners aren't corners anymore yeah so i mean all of the things that what the fans say we want more passing we want more close racing and then they say all these things that they're trying to do is going to give us that. But the one thing that if they would listen to the pundits and our show, that would well, actually in work. In a lot of cases, if they just listen to themselves. Yeah. I mean, Pat Simmons was saying, and, and several others were saying, the minute they announced this rule package that, okay, you're making the car, it's already hard to pass, you're making the cars wider, and yes, you're boosting mechanical grip, but you're boosting aerodynamic grip too, so you're not fixing anything. Right. But they're fixing stuff, they're, they're working hard to not fix things. Yeah. Okay, so moving on. McLaren. Yes. And they've obviously been rather disappointing this year. Again, Fernando Alonso. And and tell me how much you believe this. Fernando Alonso says that he's not really looking at the team's results right now. (laughs) I don't know about you. I believe it. But every time, I believe it a hundred percent. But every time that he has been on TV, especially since uttering that comment, it looks like there's a cloud of smoke coming from his lower half because <laughs> those pants are on fire, baby. Nope, I believe him a hundred percent that he's not looking at the team's results. I think he is going nanner nanner nanner. I can't see them all the time. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. I. It's too depressing to look at. Well, McLaren's latest excuse, I think that's really the only way you can describe it at this point, is Mm. their latest excuse is that this car that they have run since Australia and that they ran in testing, this is really not their 2018 car. Oh. So this is the car that gave them so much trouble in 2017, and maybe it wasn't the engine. Oh, that Toro Rosso has been able to make work better. So maybe it wasn't that big of a deal? What Eric Boulier says is that this is, in fact, an evolution of their 2017 design. This is not their real 2018 car. They have done some modifications and upgrades to the 2017 car, 
But because there were some delays, they didn't get to bring out the car. When are we going to see the car? The one true car. When are we going to see that car, Abu Dhabi? What Eric Bouillet says. He Maybe says, 2019. He says the 2018 car is coming to Barcelona. And obviously we hope that's the car we expect it to be. He says the car we have now is as per plan. It's not that we missed the targets with it. No, 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 we didn't miss any targets here. He said, after he said it's not that we missed the targets with it, he then went on to say, but we missed the scheduled targets with it. He says, this means the car that we'll have in Barcelona should have been in Australia. Mm. He says, so we are actually running with an evolution of last year and not the new car. And this car hopefully will be the one that we expect. We didn't miss any targets, but we missed targets. This is not our car. Now, This to, is not the car you're looking for. Now, to give McLaren some level of credit, and, and, and there there is some precedent in doing something like this. If you'll recall, it wasn't last year, but I believe it was 2015 and 2016, Force India did this deliberately, that the car that they ran up until Silverstone was an evolution of the previous year's design, and they did not reveal their true car for that year, what they were calling their B-spec car, until Silverstone. And they actually had a lot of success doing this towards the back half of the season. A lot of the reason why they were in fourth in 15 and 16 was because of that B-spec car and that they had truly poured all of their development effort into that car and gave them the extra time through the season to really observe and see what was working and what wasn't and build a better car that was very good the last half of the season. It's possible that McLaren is doing it, I'm not sure I believe it. Let's hope. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope. I mean, it's the best I got. That's what we are. Hey, but let's be honest. I got six points out of them last week. I was going to say, mean- <laughs> they, they have actually finished in the points. They have, and the other thing that is worth pointing out is that um, in terms of standings in the constructors, they are ahead of Renault. Mm-hmm. They're not ahead of Red Bull, which not a massive surprise. But in terms of we were expecting this to be a four-way fight and not of a three-way fight, yeah, they're not in it. Not yet. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll pull it out towards the end. I don't know. You know, in in, in some respects, this is I, I you got to go right back to Williams with this, and and even with Force India of. They've got the engine that is performing well. Their cars in their, well, in the Force India case, their cars are not performing as well. The drivers are, but over on the Williams side, it's both. Right. Well, it just proves that you could have the best engine on the market, and if you don't put if the right car crap. around it, you're not going to do well. You yeah. also, you know, the, con- the converse happens. You can put the right car around the wrong engine. It, we have spoken at nauseum about the fact that Formula One is a game of timing. It is the right engine on the right car with the right driver at the right time. And some luck. 
and then luck gets to play. Mm-hmm. And then but there's some that's luck. There, there really is. Well, that's all we got this week. Well, we have the uh, Mario Kart Grand Prix next week, <laughs> where we will see them dodge around Princess Peach's castle in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, you know, there's the real question with, with this race. You know, the first year, the Formula One drivers, not the GP2 drivers, but the Formula One drivers played it very cautious. Mm-hmm. The GP2 drivers, it was absolute carnage. Last year was a different story. Now, admittedly, a lot of that was the Force Indias, <laughs> but it was a different story. We had a lot more activity and a lot more contact that had occurred. So will the drivers be playing it safe again this year, or will they be a bit more aggressive? Now, I will bet that no matter what happens, Sebastian Vettel's going to be a lot calmer this year. <laughs> I hope so. But we won't get great radio calls like bleep, 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 He brake checked me. Yeah. Then he scoots up and then sideswipes Lewis. And then he hits somebody. So we'll see how this works. This could be really interesting. It could be. But get your predictions in. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's all I got, so. That, let's call it a show. All right, and on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.